Welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast, hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists... Today on The Microscopist, I'm talking to Elizabeth Villa, Associate Professor at UC San Diego, whose work spans multiple disciplines. We discuss the benefits of collaborative research. Led up to eventually a collaboration with Joachim and, and, and also a beautiful friendship. I, I should have given you a picture of Joachim dancing at my wedding. The importance and fun of studying macromolecules. You know, proteins are very social and there's these networks that are formed and I can't for the life of me be happy with studying a single biomolecule again. The pros and cons of using advanced microscopy to illuminate important biological complexes. Like the beauty and the horror of EM is that you see everything. And developing new lab rituals. In my lab we're trying to establish a new tradition which is submission beer, uh, rejection cocktails and acceptance champagne. All in this episode of The Microscopist. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole from the University of York, and today on The Microscopist, I'm joined by Elizabeth Villa from the University of California in San Diego. Elizabeth, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about today. I I was thinking about this. You're you're known for your prior EM work. Uh, significantly but you come from a physics background you're now doing loads of biological research using chemistry type tools what are you (laughs) i i'm a scientist i don't know uh you know i don't i i know a lot of my physics friends that have moved to biology make a point to say they're physicists doing biology i don't i don't know i think i'm just trying to claw myself into you know doing cell biology discovery so um i don't know it's just you know whatever is needed to to follow the question but in the sense of enjoying the process of building the tools uh as much as the question i think that you know i guess makes me still a little bit of a physicist uh, okay so you know the, tinkering, the, the, the process the tinkering that the, no one can see it so i want to see it that i think that part is um I guess at heart of physicists. So, so let's see how you, I was trying to work out how you got to where you are today. So your degree was in physics in Mexico, is that correct? Yeah. My undergrad degree is in physics. I actually lived in Nottingham for one year. In the uh, UK? As, yeah, yeah. Oh. And uh, as an exchange student, uh, yeah. That was my first biophysics class that got me excited, yeah. I, I have so to what I was yeah, I have to be careful what I was going to say, because I was going to say, I'm sorry, it was Nottingham, but then I'll offend everyone who's in Nottingham. So yeah. <laughs> I'd say that. I, I had a blast. Uh, <laughs> I've had really some good times fun. in Nottingham. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, had, I, I, I loved it. Yeah. So what inspired you to go into physics to start with as an undergraduate? Oh, you know, I wish. So I guess on one side, I've always been fighting time (laughs) like time has been a concept that since I was a kid I was always a little confused and upset about I guess like why can't it go backwards or or you know how it's it's I I just think time is a very weird dimension but really I think I just love math I really like I mean I like biology but I don't I'm not very good at you know remembering things by heart or 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 just sort of um 
Yeah. So I, and I love math and I, it's a little funny because I decided to study physics because my dad told me you should study physics because if you study physics, you can do whatever you want after. And I was like, you know, I could see myself being happy doing a hundred different things. And my, my dad is an economist, so he's not, he's not a physicist, but he's like, you can do finance, you can do economics, you can do whatever. Like the important thing about physics is that you learn to make models, which is true. And, and so I did, and I was, I was very happy studying physics. And, uh, you know, as I said, sometimes I would be like, oh, biology is so cool, but it's so messy and things like that. So I was happy doing physics. So it was sort of like a very smooth transition. I, yeah, I, I decided I wanted to do theoretical biophysics. Um, and so that's sort of, and, and as I said, I've been sort of like slowly clawing my way to more and more bio, but uh, I just, I guess, like math and making models, I still do. <laughs> so, so you got into physics because you didn't like, well, maybe not the right term, didn't like time, wanted to understand time better as a dimension. And now you've ended up looking at spatial dimensions. <laughs> I'm really trying to get to, to break. Very successfully freezing time, though. So that's good. <laughs> but now I miss dynamics. Like, I love cryo EM, but I miss the dynamics part of it. So, you know, always trying to combine with other things. But yeah, I think, you know, the only thing that I can remember as a child that was, you know, in the physics sense, exciting to me about the universe is like, what a weird thing time is and why does it exist? And, and you know, things like that. But, but yeah, but I think I went into physics as, as many people go into university to kick the can of a decision of what to do uh, a little forward. <laughs> well, that, that's, yeah, for me, biochemistry was just that because you do biochemistry, you can do many other jobs like accounting or whatever else. God, oh, so glad I wasn't an accountant. Uh, <laughs> so after your physics degree, where did you go to? I went to the, my PhD in true form to the theoretical and computational biophysics uh, lab of Klaus Schulten in Illinois. So I, I got a Fulbright fellowship. I met my husband in the interviews, which is like the nerdiest story you've ever heard of. And then I went to Illinois in the middle of the cornfields. And again, I actually had a lovely time over there. So it's a very good group of biophysics and I was exposed to a lot of things. So I started by studying elastic rot models of DNA and then you know slowly got more and more into being more interested in you know I guess physiologically relevant biology um but yeah I, I worked with Klaus he passed away <clears throat> in 2016 and uh, yeah it's amazing it's like a true physicist trying to you know build this enormous simulations to try to uh build biology he he called simulations uh, the computational microscope <laughs> so that's so that's so you made an early move into biophysics so the bio biology was already coming into it right uh, and then to, to mexico to us to yeah. uh, a bit of time in nottingham to, yeah and then to the and then back to mexico the us germany and then california so that was max planck uh, yeah biochemistry in Munich? Yeah, so when I was a, I think like a first year grad student, I wrote an essay in a class that was taught by Nigel Goldenfeld, who's a condensed matter physicist, uh, who has done, you know, he, he's very famous for renormalization theory, and then he went up into finance, and then he decided it was time to go into biology. So as we do, he decided to learn 
something by teaching it. And so I took a course from Nigel that was called Statistical Physics Applied to Biological Information and Complexity. That's a short title. Yes, yeah, it's basically like a lot of cool stat math. And I wrote an essay so that you know how little biology I knew, even though I, I said I wanted to do biology. I wrote an essay of this thing that I found that was called the ribosome. And I talked about it. It was it was not a very good essay about how it's a thermal ratchet. I mean, technically it doesn't need energy to, to make proteins, right? Like you, you have transcription factors and all these other things, but but just with thermal motions, it technically can make a protein. And I wrote a bad essay about it. And Joachim Frank found this essay. I guess he was Googling himself. And, uh, and then he wrote me an email and he said, you know, when are you finishing your PhD? You should come work for me. And I was so wow. excited. Yeah, it's like I went to class and I'm like, oh my God, this rock star, like, you know, just email me. And I think class was like, I'm a rock star too. Um, and so we sort of like that led up to eventually a collaboration with Joachim and and, and also a beautiful friendship. I, I should have given you a picture of Joachim dancing at my wedding, but but um, we, as we were, you know, the, 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 the eventually we collaborated with Joachim. This is when cryoium structures were really, um, you know, he had the best, Resolution structure was like 6.73 Armstrongs because you know the second digit was important, <laughs> and uh, and so um, basically it was time for stop chopping structures and just sticking them into cryo yeah, maps and, and and try to do a more systematically correct way of building models into this sort of like quote unquote low resolution maps. So we started thinking about developing this method, and there were a few people in Klaus's lab that were interested about it. And the really cool part is that. You know, we needed, we wanted to understand electron optics and, and what the image actually means in order to, because what we were going to do was use it as a potential in the molecular dynamic simulation. So the map was going to attract atoms into it, and you wanted to make sure that it was sort of like something that was reasonable. And so the really fun part is, I think at that time, Joachim's lab was very productive, but it was mostly people interested in the ribosome as opposed to in image processing like in the old days. So I always had to talk to Joachim about it. And, and that was, that really made me so, I just fell in love with cryoEM. It was just that like, you know, and, and, and not, I mean, you know, now we're, it's a very prolific technique at the time, you know, we were called out, oh, it's globology and whatever, but I wasn't excited about the structure. I was excited, you know, the average tells you about structure, but the standard deviation tells you, like the fluctuations tell you about function, right? And I was like, this method is gonna be huge because it's a biophysics method. It's not just a structure method. So I was very excited about it. And then I went to Woods Hall in the marine biology lab uh, to, to, to the physiology course. And then I was like, okay, like, you know, single molecules wiggling around are great, but, you know, proteins are very social and there's these networks that are formed and I can't for the life of me be happy with studying a single biomolecule again. And, but I, you know, so having, and, and you know, what's whole was amazing because I, I worked with Ron Vale, Eric Vishhaus and Tony Hyman. I mean, and I was just blown away because I came from this very sort of molecular view to just blowing up my mind and just, it was just amazing. And so then I decided, you know, cryoEM technically is the, you know, electrons, I guess, is the, the best radiation we have to look at biomolecules, right? Like just in terms of wavelength and, and you know, minimizing the radiation damage compared to x-rays and stuff. And so why is it not the best imaging tool for cell biology? 
And then I, I that's that's how I ended up involved in Baumeister's lab because that's exactly what he was trying to do for years, right? To develop the technology. So, so uh, I mean, important to say that before Woods Hole, I've never held a pipette in my hand except for one week in Rob Phillips's lab in Caltech, which was really fun. Um, so that was a trip. It was a, a pretty crazy change, but you know, I do it again and again and again. I didn't realize that you have been in every, almost every rock star EM, cryo EM lab there is. You must have gone through almost <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I didn't yeah, notice Richard Henderson there, but otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, but, you know, but also like almost by, by chance, right? I mean, Baumeister, of course, I no, I, it wasn't by chance, but like all, all how I entered cryo EM was just like this random thing of, you know, Joachim writing me an email and then just changing my life. Um, so where do you see, where, where, not, not where do you see EM going, we'll come to that, where do you see your research going? Because you're now getting more and more bio-orientated, trying to solve those, the social side of proteins, which is a lovely description of it. Where do you see your own, your heart in the research going? Yeah, you know, it's... I know some people have um, have a dream proper and, you know, they want to completely solve how this protein works or how this process works. Or I, I have a very selfish um, or selfishly oriented view of, of science. I work on something that excites me. And, and very often that happens after a conversation. We have like this entire project on this phage nucleus we call it which is a large phage that infects bacteria and builds a compartment that's basically like a eukaryotic nucleus it it it, it compartmentalizes dna it separates transcription and translation i can't stop thinking about it you know another conversation i had one day about this kinase that you know is the main cause of parkinson's disease and then all of a sudden we were working on that and you know i couldn't read enough and i guess the unifying theme is always trying to get um, inspired by a problem that I think it's amazing and then trying to push and adapt, you know, different methods to tackle it with, with whatever is needed. And, you know, at, at this point in my lab, it's, it's of course, um, core cryo-electron tomography, but, you know, we'll do whatever we need um, and find whatever friends we need to, to go for problems that are exciting. So I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, I, you've answered it. I, 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 so you are, you are a true technologist. Yeah. I, I think it'd be true. And you're not looking for problems to solve. You're not looking, you, you look, you've got the technology development and then helping solve, using that to solve problems that are needing it, yeah. uh, which is a nice way around to it. Those conversations, so those moments of inspiration, uh, you talked about the phage, for example, where where do they come from? What sorts of conversations are these down at lunch times uh, in a shared canteen? Are they at conferences? Are they just chance one to one conversations? Where are they coming from? I think all of those, right? All of the above, and and you know the vast majority of them don't lead to me being like coming back to the lab and being like, oh my god, I'm so excited, and you know everybody in the lab is like, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. <laughs> Because otherwise they're like, you, let's do this. Uh, so yeah, you know, down the hall. So Joe Pugliano, who's at UCSD, 
just was down the hall from where my lab was located when I came to UCSD. And, 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 and Kit, his wife, was also an amazing scientist. We have grants together and students together. And it was just basically, you know, a couple of conversations. Uh, others have been at conferences. Just, you know, I don't know about others, but at least my career has been really marked by this serendipitous events that are like one conversation, one email, something like that. And, and then it sort of, you know, it sticks in my head for a while. And, and, and then eventually, sometimes I do something about it. <laughs> it was interesting hearing you, you go back to your lab and no one makes eye contact. So I presume <laughs> you're generally very enthusiastic around the lab. Or Me? Work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I only have I guess one mode, so. <laughs> so, you, so you're not a calm person no. at work. You are a full throttle. No, I don't, I don't. I mean, I wish I had a better poker face sometimes, and 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 you know, modulate my enthusiasm or 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 other. Uh, but no, I. This is this is more or less how I am, which is very different uh, from from a lot of the. PIs or, or, or that I, that I grew, grew up seeing. Klaus wasn't like that. Klaus was like just bubbly everywhere. Like he would be super happy or super mad, you know, like very honest. And I actually really love that. And that's one thing that I actually also loved about Germany is that, you know, brutal honesty can be very, um, very good for, for having successful friendships and collaborations. And, and, you know, so just everybody knows where you are in the same place and, and, and what you like and what you don't like. And, and, and I think that for me, that's easier. I, I don't, you know, that's, that, that's like anti-English, I know. <laughs> but, uh, but that's something that I, I don't know if I learned it or picked it up from, from Klaus and, and, and I like it. So yeah, this is, I am like this in the lab. And I think, dare I say, people, new PIs are feeling that it is okay to be yourself in the lab. And I think before people felt you need to check your personality at the door, uh, maybe. And, and I think that's, that's changing. And I, I like it. Yeah, gosh, I, I, I don't think I've ever contemplated how the personality is viewed. <laughs> so, so, so I'm glad that's changing. Uh. No, you know, in the sense that, so I, in, in my opinion, I think a lot of people thought, you know, if you're very bubbly or if you're whatever, maybe you're not taken seriously, right? And so, so, so maybe modulate that. Yeah, I mean, that's good that you've never had to worry about it. it. Means it's never been a problem for you. And honestly, I've never tried to modulate it, and it's never been a problem for me. But I, I know it's in a lot of people's minds. Yeah, actually, actually, I wonder actually, with the older guard, you know, on committees and stuff, whether that is still the case, uh, and maybe they find it a bit. Uh, I didn't know why, a bit, not offensive, it's the wrong word. I'm trying to find the right word. But, you know, if, you, if you've got characters, I'm, I'm a fairly full-on character in meetings, or can be. Yeah, and maybe that actually it is, maybe it's quite jarring for them sometimes compared to this very composed, subtle way of... I've, I've, oh, it's the future. It's good to have all sorts at the table, right? I, I think, and uh, you know... As I said, just to be clear, I don't think it's ever, you know, been a negative thing for me. Um, I mean, at, at least not that I've noticed and, and, and I enjoy it. But, you know, it's just it's a little bit more fun. I mean, why, why were we so serious <laughs> about everything? So, so you're sounding uh, excited. If people 
uh, who are listening, they're getting this, they're building up an impression right now. So I've got to ask, are you a, a messy person or a tidy person? I mean, my background is tidy. Well, your <laughs> background is tidy. Okay, if you see your camera around, how tidy you are. my desk right now. I am not. I am not a tidy person. Uh, I am. I was, or, or when I am in the lab and things like that, I am tidy. I'm very organized with my file system. You know, so for certain things. But my my reaction. I mean, but I have to fight entropy all the time. I mean, so my 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 baseline is definitely not tidy. Said like a true physicist. <laughs> So are you a minimalist or a maximist? Do you like lots of stuff or do you like keeping things to a minimum? Huh. I don't I don't know. You know, one one thing that I so I, I don't know if you're asking, you know, science wise, but I can say when it comes to consumerism, you know, in the US, there's always this. I remember when I moved to the US from Mexico, I was shocked of how much trash I produced, you know, because everything comes single packed and everything. I was like, ah, I don't. And, and, and th so that's, I think, something, you know, in sale and everything is so cheap and you can buy, like, and buy, buy, buy. And that's something I actually really liked about Germany, that you buy one really good jacket and then it, you know, it lasts you for 15 years. So, so not like fast fashion and things like that. So I guess in that sense, more a minimalist, especially as we all, I think, become aware of, um, you know, how we're messing up the planet. It's kind of like good to keep it. So you've got a jacket that's 15 years old. I do. <laughs> no, I don't know 15, but at least, let me see. I'm Yeah, I think I, I bought a couple of really good jackets when I came to Munich, like for skiing and stuff like that. And they're great. So you wear them once a year when you ski? Well, now, yes. But other things like, you know, I, I, I have one jacket I've had, like the jacket I'm looking at, it's like eight years old, probably. So when I came here. <laughs> I don't know. Not don't all know. my are 15 years old, but I but I try to, you know, just maybe reduce my carbon footprint where I can. So coming, staying out of work a little bit. I, I believe you are a family person. So we have this, which is a really <laughs> picture right now, because this is your <laughs> husband. But it looks like I'm in, I looks like I'm your child, which is really, really scary. But I, if I just duck out of the way. <laughs> I, think, I think i'm going to adopt you now peter i think i think it's, i think it's the law <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't there's no way i can hide here i'm either going to be your husband or i'm going to be his wife i don't know which way it is I'm your child now actually if you're listening to this maybe just watch the youtube but just this picture that's come up my head just perfectly replaces your daughter's head which is really scary i'll go over here later. there you go now we're a family <laughs> so so so, so this is your daughter. How old is your daughter now? She's seven now. This picture is, uh, yeah, like I guess seven years ago. Uh, when, when, yeah. So we, I, I was, uh -huh. I found out when I came to UCSD. So she says, "Love as old as my lab," I guess. So, so this but is that's, her that's, closer to now. That's us. In, that's us in Big Sur a couple of a few weeks ago. Yeah. Ah. Driving down the California coast. Yeah. So, what does your husband do as a job? He's a physicist. Uh, he's still a physicist. He's stuck like, with it. So he's, he's a faculty member here at UCSD also. So you're both working at the moment. Hey, how, did you, how, did you, how did you balance that work-life balance? You're both working. You have a young daughter. Uh, you just how do you do. balance 
that's why I, you know, when you ask me like hobbies, I'm like, I guess I just gotta send a picture of my family because <laughs> that's when you have kids that, yeah. So it's, you know, it gets a little better with time, but I think um, I'm just always in awe of people who have children when they're like grad students or postdocs, because even, you know, as a faculty member, it was, it was, you know, it was challenging at some time. So you balance, you balance, you know, I think my lab benefited from me having a kid. I used to work crazy hours when I was a grad student or postdoc. And when I was in Munich, you know, Easter would come and I'm like, oh my God, the microscope's for me. Yay. Cause you know, everybody else took holiday. And um, I mean, we did sometimes too, but, but, um, but yeah, so I think it was good because a child forces you to have better work-life balance and, and, and it's fine. You know, it's, it, it, things work. You just, you become more efficient. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm like totally oversharing, but like your marriage becomes more like a business, you know, like very transactional and planning and things like that. But, you know, you kind of like make it work. It's, it's um, every, you know, everybody who has children and, and has, you know, two, two jobs are like both have jobs, has to go through. So. Critically, and this is important, it's not detrimental to your career. And it's clearly not detrimental to your career. So far, so good. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have to say, I, I, on purpose, you know, she's so tiny and she was growing so fast that we decided, you know, we need to enjoy these years. They're going to go so fast. And, and, and it was a little bit of a stressful thing. And, you know, some people kind of would be, because I would be like, if it's from 5 to 8 p.m., I'd be like, to my life, unless you're dying, I'm gone. Like, you know, I, I, I need to, I need to do this and, and then I'm back. Right. Like, and, and, and we can talk and, and on the weekends also uh, a lot more, as I said, a lot more time off than, than we used to take. Um, and yeah, I think so far, I don't, I think I view, if you're, if you're tidy, if you're organized, it, it, it I don't think it hits your productivity um, that much. I mean, it does, but yeah, but it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, matter it, it shouldn't matter is what i want to say <laughs> I, I think there's a lot to be said as you say when when you're out of day job number one and into day job number two which is your family and stuff actually that's gives your brain time to breathe and i think yeah. sometimes where some of the best ideas come from you know it's not when you're trying to think of ideas it's when you're not trying to think of ideas that inspiration yeah. can, can come uh, so i was going to ask you talked about you did have hobbies because it's very much balancing the two uh, but you still have good times. Are you a, are you a beach bum or are you someone who likes to go and sightsee and travel? Am I a beach bum? Like just staying in, can you say- Yeah, would you prefer just to be on the beach all day or do you prefer actually going sightseeing when you do take time off and go on holiday? Oh, um, both, I think. I mean, I like eating. Uh, so that's a big part of like traveling for me you know I, I like sightseeing I don't I'm not so much a beach bum the reason but... I ask you sent me some pictures and here you are on a beach with your daughter at a younger age and then you sent me another picture and here you are again with your husband and your daughter on a beach I thought really well, live in San Diego. <laughs> that's that's not holidays though that's weekends for us <laughs> um, oh, you're so lucky I know I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is this is not 
travel. This is, you know, this is um, killing Saturday afternoon. <laughs> so, and uh, so, yeah, so I, I, we do, we do like the beach a lot. Obviously um, we live here and we, we take advantage of it. Um, sometimes we go with, like if we go with family on vacation, like my parents or things like that, then typically a beach is nice because, yeah, but otherwise sightseeing, we like, it's really fun to go to museums when, um, with small kids, right? Because everything's new and fresh and you feel like you're seeing this things for the first time and that's just so fun. But yeah, and then as I said, I I really like, I really enjoy trying foods from different places and stuff. So I, I know it's weird to say, but um, food is a big part of my travel agenda typically. So go on, what's your favorite food? Sorry, my favorite what is your food. favorite food? I don't know. Uh, I... I don't know. That's a really hard question. I can tell you, weirdly enough, it's not desserts or things like that. It's mostly like savory things. Um, I just, I just like everything. I mean, not everything, but most things. Okay. So, so what do you dislike? If you went to a conference and they took you out for a dinner and they served up and you go, please don't let it be, please don't let it be. What is it that you would fear that they would put in front of you? I'll try everything once. I can't, you know, there's things that I like more that I like less, but um, no, off the top of my head, I can't imagine that you'll serve me something that I'll be like, even if it looks like super weird, my motive is like, you have to try once. Like maybe you don't like it, then you don't have to eat it again, but you try it once. So I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I love the way I, you said, you know, it doesn't matter what I serve you. You have no idea how bad my cooking is. <laughs> actually, it's really, actually it's really not that bad i quite enjoy cooking so, so, so i can't really say that. i enjoy eating like i cook because i like eating but not because i enjoy cooking that that's uh that's how i know i'm not a chemist <laughs> <laughs> i think chemists are uh traditionally or at least my friends that are chemists are very good cooks oh. saturday night put some good music on put a glass of red wine and cook that, yes. that's, that is that's, I mean, that is lovely <laughs> okay so you, you talked to i should have realized the beach connection because this is i presume a, a lab photo that's my lab photo yes we just took that a few weeks ago yeah with a pier that's, the, the that's, a, that's a scripps pier yeah that's like the uh san diego like the ucsd uh scripps institute of oceanography pier so a lot of cool research comes out it's of that a big lab is that 11 i can count on there it's a big lab yes yes it's a big lab uh, so a lot of a lot of people are joined with other labs because we work together but yeah it's a big lab it's 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 a great lab i'm so, i'm really lucky sorry i'm lucky luckier than most uh so I have, a, I, i'm gonna ask you know, you're not old you're really young and you have a big lab. How how did you find this at the very start when you set off and actually you struck out into your own lab? How did you find that moment? And you know, you're stepping out as your own lab, which is quite different to being a postdoc in someone else's lab with the direction that comes. Suddenly you are the director of that yeah. research. How did you find that? You know, it's it's kind of brutal how academia works so um you know i basically so i i thought it was really funny when i came to ucsd 
I came to a, a room and that was my office and it was empty. It didn't have a chair on it. And all I got was like this index number, which is basically like a bank account. And that's it, you know? So when I was discussing uh, with my brother is an investigative journalist and, and we were, you know, talking about this and he's like, so let me understand this. So you are, you were in school for like, a really, really, really long time. And you became very good at this one thing. And then people hired you because you're very good at this one thing. And now they hire you. They basically give you a bank account and you have to, you know, manage people. What do you know? You don't know how to do manage your finances, which you don't know how to do teach, which you don't know or are trained how to do. And the one thing you don't do is the thing they hire you to do. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, because you do, of course, you mentor people to do it. But as time goes by, you you spend, a le- you know, a smaller fraction of your time in, in actually in the lab, right? And and so it's very weird. Um, but you just, I mean, you just do it. What are you going to do? I mean, it's exciting also. You know, you buy all these new things and like the first box that comes with your name, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> like it's my lab. It's, 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 I don't know, it's exciting. It's, it's challenging. Um, I mean, the last two years, obviously, um, has been really hard being a mentor and just trying to keep people happy and telling them everything's going to be okay while, you know, crossing your fingers behind your back yourself. And, and uh, but it was, it was fun, uh, challenging and stressful. And, but I, I, you know, and then I had like a tiny baby, it was, but, but, but it was, it was, I don't know, you know, uh, survivor's bias i guess i i'm i'm, I'm happy I, I i like my job uh, a lot so, so it sounds like covid was a, a challenging time over the past couple of years to, to keep the team uh so, going you know it's um i mean about the science i'm, I'm not supposed to say this but like I, it, it, just, it was really important but i i i didn't care i mean like if, if, if we took a hit scientifically i'm like i decided i was not going to chase people around into being productive while, you know, all of these things going on. And, you know, like in the US also then became all this sort of like racial justice events and things like that. And a lot of people were in a, you know, very isolated, bad place. And for me, it was just, you know, my job is to be a mentor. And uh, I, I, I take that, you know, seriously. I think that's probably, you know, other than, you know, making scientific discoveries or things like that is that I, 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 I want to make sure people in my lab are successful and, and happy. And, and yeah, I, I thought it was challenging. I think, yeah, I don't know, you know, but they're great. I told you my lab is just, just full of amazing, funny, creative, smart, hardworking people that are super resilient and, 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 you know. So does that mean, I, I just going back to the picture, there's a lot of them that's you're their line manager. But actually, some of these are PhD students, I presume, postdoctoral staff. Yeah. They actually need more than more guidance than a typical line manager. If you've got someone who's already very skilled, that you know, they're pretty much solo running anyway, and you're just there as a mentor, as you say. But in this case, it's more yeah. than a mentor, isn't it? You know, you do have to give direction, more advice. How yeah. do you find, how do you make sure you give them all enough time? And I, I presume some must demand demand's the wrong word. Some like to have more time, some like to have less time. So it's not demanding, it's the wrong phrase. It's just, it's just how they work. Need, how need or 
Yeah. So I think, you know, that's a really funny thing that um, to bring up because I, all the labs I was in, so like in Klaus's lab or in Wolfgang's lab, they were really, really large labs where they're very sort of like hands off. I mean, I always think it's like you just walk in and it's, you know, like a Willy Wonka and you get to play and do whatever. <laughs> Willy Wonka is a bad analogy, but but places that I, I always was very self-driven. And I, I don't mean to say this is a bad thing or, or a good thing. I think that really important thing is to find a good fit between your style and the lab style. So I was ever only in these labs where I was just so lucky to have all the resources that I needed and the occasional you know, discussion with my advisor, uh, which was great. And, 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 and they were both very supportive mentors. So even when I was starting my lab, I was very hands-off. And, and, and that's very rare for an assistant professor and probably a bad idea, <laughs> but, but, but that's how I did it. And so, and, and I found out, you know, as, as the years progressed, that as, as, as you're saying, some people need more structure, some people want less, and, and sort of like adapting is, is important. But, but um, you know, I've, I've, I've learned to adapt and, and, and try to, you know, stand up to it. But I do have serious conversations with people that are, you know, joining my lab and being like, you know, it's not only about the science you want to do, it also needs to, you know, I want to make sure that if you come to the lab, you're successful. And, and I'm, you know, I'm here for you. And I'm, I, I feel I'm more like a coach than a boss, you know, like I'm, I'm there to finesse their skills and, and cheerlead and, and help them around and things like that. But, but I, you know, they're their own people and I'm just, you know, I'm just providing a home for them to do fun things. Just how I was lucky to have that when, when I was a trainee. So out of your team, who's the best one? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I say it's a really question you don't want me to ask. I never thought of that one. <laughs> they're, they're, they're amazing. I love my children equally. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. There's always one that's the least favorite. There's always a black sheep in every team. Uh, oh, my team. My team. Also, it's really funny, like... Uh, People in my lab come from all walks of life, right? And that's also really fun about like uh, interdisciplinary teams these days that, you know, some of them come from, you know, hardcore materials science and, and some of them are, you know, just, I, I had a fantastic cell biologist in my lab, Reka, who, you know, she never did like a lot of quantitative stuff and, and, and you know, they they bloom along the way, right? Because you learn from from, from the others and, and gain perspective. So I, I, I like that, it's really fun. So coming back onto uh, the more scientific side of the work side, you sent me this picture, which I'm glad I opened up. Uh, and hopefully we can, if, you, if you're going to watch this, uh, we'll, we'll try and get a bigger blow up of this. But God, you describe the picture for those who are listening. So that, I mean, that's a slice through, through a tomogram. So as, as we discussed earlier, um, you know, that, that doing, cryo-electron tomography of cells, as uh, John that one told me, like the beauty and the horror of EM is that you see everything, right? And, and, and so this is a cell, this is a, this is a human cell. And I think this is a tomogram also from, from Rake. And you can see the nuclear envelope is, is up here, these two lines. And then there's a mitochondria on top and, and, and the nucleus on the bottom, right? So mitochondria up, yes, nucleus is in the bottom. So you can see some chromatin over there and, 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 and nice things. And there's a nuclear core. 
And I've always been, I'm a very visual person, obviously. Uh, and, and I, I love, I love David Goodsell's work. And, and that's a painting from David Goodsell superimposed in one of our tomograms. And I remember seeing the tomogram this is sort of like one of the first ones that we got in the lab when I moved here. And I, put the painting on top and oh my god it just fits perfectly David is so good because <laughs> what he does is you know he reads a lot about a particular you know corner of the cell and then he uses all data that's available to him and, and he makes some educated guesses and talks with the scientists and he makes these beautiful paintings and it's right on the money so my you know one of my dreams is to be able to annotate tomography by using you know things from many many other techniques to to basically make what david does very so this was a painting not that's not a painting. colored tomogram this was that's a watercolor and it was not based on our data and i mean i oh I've my used, goodness i know oh, i didn't realize that that <laughs> no, is no. so this this yeah. artist drawing fits the real scientific image which is down to the nanometer sub nanometer like, resolution see, like you see there, like the nuclear lamina. You can see it, the nuclear envelope, the nuclear for everything. It's just, it's just, it's just shocking um, how good he is. Silence yeah. is me a bit shocked. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 I haven't got another question because I, wow, that. Yeah. I'm also amazed that you also managed to get a tomograph that actually fits the same orientation. Or I know there's a bit of movement, yeah. but to even get it to that is. That's you know, I mean, it, it, it fits it fits very nicely in, in, in a lot of tomograms, but in this one, and you can't see it very well right now, but like even the chromatin, like, like right, right where your ear is right now, or like a little bit higher, I guess, like your temple there, like the chromatin is coming in and it just fits like this chain that he did. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah, just, just, yeah. I see the gray of the chromatin coming through. Yeah, yeah. I, I say the gray of the chromatin, that's the gray in my hair as well that matches it. So you didn't realize yes, I exactly. can match your gray electron microscope images as well either. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah you know it's fun to think about you know that maybe one day we'll be as good as david in annotating our data <laughs> and, so, and you know because yeah you, you sent another image as well uh two images and this this one do you know what it doesn't look as cool <laughs> but oh my goodness this is a really challenging imaging to get so actually those not I, I, actually, I, I wait, Elizabeth, you describe it. That's probably more sensible than me describing this claim. The green is a little saturated. I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize this. But but this is an image uh, from our project on LARC2. And the reason I send it to you is because um, it's this so-called correlative light and electron microscopy. And so here we have a protein that's uh, YFP tag, although we're showing it green. And it's co-localized with microtubules. So if you can see, like, wherever you see the dark green, there's always this little, like, lines around them and those are microtubules that are decorated with this uh, protein called LARC2 that uh, is the main cause of um, genetic Parkinson's and that's what we were studying but it's really fun I think you know to, to say combining different modalities to get to the answer that you need is, is, is always really fun and so in this case it's light and electron microscopy and I think it's um, I mean everybody's very excited about it now it's just a it's just a really great thing to you know combining imaging modalities and and yeah and it is good that you're seeing the lighter side of biological sciences as well so that's a really I, I, sad thing. I, said, I love light microscopy and 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 i i mean this is this is a still image for both of them but but of course the beauty of light microscopy is that you can you can see dynamics right and that's that's um 
and maybe that brings in your your time dimension yeah. again that you can do your time yeah. and then freeze that moment in time so you do have the time resolution and then yes you're pausing time or freezing time <laughs> literally freezing time at that moment uh which is nice it does bring your time as well as the resolution uh the the the, the spatial dimensions to be much better right. at that point i've got to ask so actually for people I, not everyone will be expert in prio em uh, these microscopes cost gone how much does a microscope cost typically i think that it's too much I, so like several million dollars is the, is the right answer i think you know somewhere from five to eight probably and then they come with a service contract a contract that's about $250,000 a year. Yeah, that, that's the bit that really bites. Because that's the bit yeah. that's on biting. You're on, you're out. Buying the instrument is a thing that you can get people excited about. Maintaining the instrument, it's a much taller order, right? Because, um, yeah, it's, it's the same thing as, you know, sometimes building a facility is great, staffing it, no, it's it, it's not as shiny, right? To like donate money to keep something running. It's just shiny when you cut the ribbon. And, and <laughs> I think you you actually you've mentioned something that's actually really important because it's not just the cryo EM world. It's also the genomics world. It's also the spatial omics uh, side. No, no. The cost of the very latest technologies are increasingly expensive, and this isn't just companies profiting on it. You know, this is just the cost of the research and development to get to that next level of resolution and sensitivity costs money. It's not cheap and not everyone will have them. So it's not like they've got unit sales of tens of thousands of these. Right. So it does cost a lot of money. And so I think the key bit, you've already mentioned your research into Parkinson's disease uh, and the, the importance to look at the structure to understand the disease to start with. Right. Got, do you have other examples of beyond Parkinson's that this is being used for? Yeah, so I mean, this project with Parkinson's is the first time in my life that I worked on something that I that like could directly help people, which was really humbling because I was like, oh, I'm a basic scientist. I'm a basic scientist. And it was actually really touching and meaningful. And, and, and I, you know, I, I, yeah, I like, I, I, I've been bit by the bug, so that's good. But a lot of people are are um, are using tomography to try to understand disease in, in general. You know, many different diseases. Uh, Shores at, at the LMB works on um, uh, amyloid fibers for for Alzheimer's, right? And, and and it's just shocking that you know they're starting to find out that there's different types, and but but then you can there's only so many probably, and so it's it's you know and and how to at the chemical level, maybe how to combat them and things like that. So there's, you know, it's 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 growing. And as cryo-EM became this, you know, very high resolution method so fast, then you can really go into like drug targeting and, you know, solving structures with different drugs bound to them or things like that and starting to look at, um, at different things. And, and in cells, of course, it's the same thing because as long as you can have enough good statistics, you can see how like a drug would change or a disease would change. I mean, 
you know, the fact that you'll have a single point mutation and wreak havoc in an entire organism to me is just like insane. And, and you know, it, it needs to start somewhere, right? And, and so, so at the cellular level, sometimes the phenotypes are actually quite remarkable and that's just fascinating to see. Now, you didn't send me a picture of these five to eight million pound microscopes, but you actually have a picture of, well, it's, a, it's not even a schematic, is it? It's, it's a Lego design yeah. of, so it's, it's actually a cryo-EM electro, uh, Lego, cryo, a Lego cryo-electron microscope. Yeah, that was, that was a gift uh, a few years ago uh, from the vice president of Thermo Fisher. And, and the, the, that the didn't cost a million dollars, no? That did not. That, that I, I don't think it cost him a million dollars. It was, <laughs> it, 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 it was built by, um, by a person that works on the floor of the factory of Titan Cryosis. So those are original Lego parts. Now they have sets that they give you either when they want to sell you one or when they sold you one, which is a good idea because sometimes PIs don't get to play with the real thing. So you get to play with the one in your office, I guess. So that one's in my office. Uh, uh, yeah. So Thermo, if you're listening, yes, please. That would be cool. <laughs> yes. I've, I've got a nice flow cytometer one back at home. But I haven't got it. <laughs> there you go. You need to complete the whole set. Um, get your little sandbox in your office with uh, all your toys. I'm trying to think who who was it that we did loads of Lego during lockdown. Uh, so one of the other podcast guests, actually, that's what they did. They spent loads of time. It's, it's what they did with their child with their children during it. Yeah, 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 yeah interest in lego uh, which i think is super cool yeah uh, that's it will, it will come to me as we go through uh everything has sounded really rosy and really good there must, there must have been really difficult times though uh that you've encountered so what's yeah. been the most challenging time to date oh it's prisca liberali wasn't it it's prisca who did loads of lego anyway sorry go on <laughs> um the most challenging time Oof. There's been a bunch. Um, hmm. You really, really stick out as I, I really wouldn't want to relive that time hmm. or that moment or that challenge or that problem. I would say sometimes academic politics can be difficult. So there's been a couple of instances that I'd rather not describe in detail. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think, yeah, there's, yeah. So I have a few, but <laughs> I'll tell you about me one day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, okay. So on that point, wine or beer? Wine or beer? Yeah, what's your prep? Some quick fire questions. Wine, oh, or, wine beer? or beer. I, I, I thought you said, why no beer? I'm like, no, I'm no, no, why no beer? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um oh my god i'm i'm i i i can't choose between my babies don't do that to me uh so i i drink beer uh, uh again another very good habit i picked up in germany i i drink beer offer with dinner um but on weekends as you said as i'm cooking sometimes i actually like to have a glass of wine and you know sort of it's so it's different if i'm if I'm writing a reference letter for someone, I have a glass of wine. I don't know. It's like a nice tradition. Puts me in a good mood. Um, so, no. Actually, in my lab, we're trying to establish a new tradition, which is submission beer, uh, rejection cocktails, and acceptance champagne. Ooh. 
it's a lot of cocktails. <laughs> nice. Yeah. How many, how many papers do you publish a year? Because that could be a lot of alcohol just in one year. Yeah, just especially the cocktails, sadly, right? Like everybody gets rejected much more than people um, think or know. So it's not that much. I mean, you know, cryo-election tomography is slow enough that I'm not worried about us um, and our alcohol consumption. Okay, so uh, tea or coffee? That also fluctuates too. I really like tea. So right now I'm going through a tea uh, period. Um, good. British tea, uh, but uh, but I like coffee too. And sometimes I do espresso only, and and then sometimes I do you know other yeah. So today I was having like a taller like a americano. So yeah. uh, see, see if you're gonna have caffeine, make it short and make it good. Make it short, oh, yeah. I think I know the answer to this one already from earlier. Chocolate or cheese. Why are you making me choose between things I love? Okay, I'll tell you what. No white chocolate, no milk chocolate. So, uh, so just chocolate. like dark chocolate, that's it. And cheese, I adore, like most kinds of cheese. Also, one of my very best friends is Rachel Dutton, who's a cheese scientist. And and therefore, I get like a really good, um, um, like I, I, I get really good consulting on, on, on cheese. So, um, yeah. Uh, see you to answer all your questions <laughs> you never want to trust a dutch cheese scientist because there's holes throughout all their research <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> so, book or tv book or tv hmm i would i used to be book um i think in like since the pandemic started i kind of picked up on tv again but i have to say the new podcast era is wonderful for me because what happens for me is that if I'm I I listen through the entire however many seasons of the you know this show Lost yeah um I had never seen it and when I was in Munich and I was trying to like write some code like for tomography analysis and whatever I listened through like all seasons of Lost and like in some season I turn around and be like oh she's blonde like I would have imagined her being different because I I think I was born for podcasts, uh, so I, I I listen to tons of podcasts. Uh, What's right your favorite now. podcast? Sorry. What's your favorite podcast? Hmm. The microscopists. Oh, it's the right <laughs> answer. So, what sort of genre of podcast do you like listening to? I did a lot of true crime uh, when the pandemic started, you know, when, whatever got me out of reality. And uh, so that kind of stuff. So fic a lot of fiction I like uh, to listen to, but also I, this is how I consume my news, um, like the daily. And this week in virology was, I think, the podcast everybody needed during the pandemic. I, I, I mean, I was not very well versed in virology, and I think they've done a fantastic job at uh, educating people from a very scientific point of view, but also approachable for other people. So I listened to that. And then this week in microbiology is also amazing. Yeah, so it's sort of like a healthy mix. Also audiobooks sometimes. Uh, so I, I, I found, um, I need to go back into um, sitting down and reading books because I, lately I haven't been doing it a lot. But when I do read, um, very often I like reading in Spanish. Um, like Latin American authors or things okay. like that, because that really kind of like, like turns off my brain. Like it, it feels like it really, like switching languages for me seems to 
really allow me to switch, you know, mentality. And that's sort of very good for just getting distracted. I have to ask, do you speak German as well? Very badly. Okay. No, I learned French in school, so I speak French. Um, but when I went to Germany, I'm like, I'm so good at languages. It turns out I was just young when I learned them. <laughs> <laughs> so it was hard also, you know, Germans speak um, English very well. So so they'll switch. And uh, and when I moved to Munich, I didn't know electron microscopy. I didn't know cell biology and didn't know image processing. And so I, I, I think Germans suffered um, as a result of my many shortcomings <laughs> so I, I ended up learning the others better the other that last set of quick fire questions early bird or night owl night owl pc or mac mac mcdonald's or burger king neither mexico or us sorry mexico or us mm, different <laughs> I love him. <laughs> that was very politically careful. No, it's true. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Mexican. I dance. I, 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 you know, I'm, I, I don't know, but, but I'm an American citizen. I love a lot of things about the U.S. It's just, you know, it's just, it's, it's a mix. I'm both with a little bit of German. Okay. Favorite movie. <laughs> Favorite movie. Oh, this is hard. I don't have a favorite. I don't really rewatch movies over and over, um, except for Frozen, but that was not by choice. <laughs> we got over it. <laughs> okay, maybe we should have asked least favorite movie. <laughs> I was like, it's a fine movie. Um, I don't. I don't know. I sorry. I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I I watch a lot of French cinema. Um, it's a lot of fantastic movies there, but I yeah, I don't. I don't have a favorite movie, I don't think. Favorite or color? Book. Favorite color? This, this one this week. I've been I've been testing colors for my office wall and I'm kind of like a liking blue with a little bit of green on it right it's now. Turquoisey. <laughs> yeah, it's like a dark turquoise. I like it. This does not show a true color. Right now my face looks really red. You have no idea. It's it's the winter over here. I am still really pale. It's just my camera white balance does no justice. Oh. <laughs> my window surface does not do a good job of white balance on this. Uh we've talked like you know we are up to the hour. And I've got okay. loads of questions I wanted to ask you, and I haven't asked you them all. I guess. The, the biggest question is where do you see the biggest what's the biggest challenge that needs to that we need to overcome to help cryo em microscopy in general move forward what is the biggest limiting step at the moment i think automation you know there's a lot of things that we still do by hand uh that we sh shouldn't have to and so, I mean, there's obviously like technology, when, this is not going to be a short answer if we have to talk about bringing the technology to like as far as they can go. But in order to sort of democratize these technologies better, I think that the barrier of entry is still relatively high. And I don't, I don't think it should be. It's just, it's just, I mean, for one thing, it's information and there's a lot of kind of like hidden 
knowledge that, you know, at least in my lab and I think many others, we try to put out uh, in the world, like, you know, these when this happens, you can do this. But for the stuff that we do, so just sort of like focusing on tomography, I think that companies need to make these instruments leaner, meaner, and sort of like basically have a lot more automation into them. And then so we can focus more on, you know, making the questions relevant and 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 making the cell lines that we need or, or or asking the right questions and preparing all the way to there it's like in my lab and others it's still a big sort of like a big barrier to getting the data and then an even bigger barrier to analyzing the data and i think that there's no reason why we shouldn't you know put a lot of effort into making that go away and 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 then you know i Thing that as people go to the core and use a confocal now, and it's one of 15 tools that they use to publishing a paper, EM should be similar. There's no reason not to. And, and, and for light microscopy, I think it's, it's getting better, but um, yeah, more access, cheaper access. Um, um, and, and I think a lot more automation, like there's no reason why the computer shouldn't like guide you through a lot more than it does right now. Um, so, and I, I guess that's you know, you're, you're into obviously a lot of the work is volume EM as well with the 3D rendering, but actually it's not just the volume of the image, it's the volume of images to make it statistically relevant as well. So actually, as you say, right. automated speed back to your time. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can automate it, you can speed it up. So you're now trying to speed up time. See that? Yeah. See, see, they can speed it up time. Come back to that. <laughs> That's good. And then you did send me another picture, which I think is quite apt now, that I think you probably got what you want to find at the end of the rainbow is that <laughs> probably your yes. tomato side of things. That's, that's from a photographer, Eric Jep Jespin at UCSD, who just does beautiful images. And, and that was a few weeks ago. Also, there's two rainbows in there. Yeah, and that's a script spear. That's also from him. That's um, that's over the Christmas brain. And right now we have like dinoflagellite. So if you go at night, you actually see like that. Um, it does look uh, amazing. No, it's actually it's an, al it's an algae bloom uh, and it's it looks red sometimes. It's beautiful. I, I, yeah, it's hard, to be, it's, hard to be, it's hard to be mad at the world sometimes when, you know, you go and sit there. <laughs> no, it does look very calm and peaceful. Yeah. Elizabeth, we are up to the hour. Can I just thank you once again for today and actually for, for, for everyone who's watched listened please remember to subscribe but actually you've heard a lot today about volume em uh, jeff lickman obviously does a lot of volume em as well lucy collington for the clem side and, and volume em chris mm -hmm. liberali for the uh, lego making uh, side of things <laughs> <laughs> and harold hess putting that clem side together as well so there's lots of others but elizabeth i've got to say your excitement your enthusiasm your passion <clears throat> Wow, you're amazing. Thank you very oh, much for joining me today. Oh, you're amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. I think this is, uh, for me, the, this podcast has been inspiring uh, to listen to. So I'm, I'm sure, I, I wish I had this young me. Uh, so thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the dash microscopists.